welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 15 of Mad Ship, Tidings. And we're back with Althea and Malta and the Vestret household. This is super off topic, but every time I read the chapter title, I think of the Christmas song, What Tidings We Bring <laughs> to You and Your Kin. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, just... <laughs> Very off topic. That is very off topic. <laughs> well, we have this chapter, at least this part of it, from Malta's point of view. And she is observing Althea, who is kind of getting frustrated at, you know, tallying up the house's books at this point. They're all kind of sitting in the same room, just doing menial chores that have to get done. They all being Malta and Althea. Yes. I think Kefria is in the room as well. She just doesn't say a single word or get mentioned at all. So She gets mentioned when Malta says my mother did something or ever, but that's like the only mention of her. Yeah, but that that kind of denotes that she is not there. (laughs) Yeah, her mother folded her lips but said no more. But that I think is, I thought it was about Ronica. Really? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, so maybe Kefri is just not in the room. Yeah. Okay. But Ronica does come in as well. She has been out in the garden cleaning up, I guess just cleaning up the garden and trying to make it a little bit more respectable. So Althea says, like, I just, I can't do this anymore. I have to go out. Ronica is saying, I know what you mean. You know, we can't do the same thing all the time. The accounting of our debts is hardly cheery work. Even I need to get away from it after a few hours. She paused, then added hopefully. The flower beds by the front door need attention if you're in a mood for outdoor work. Althea shook her head impatiently. No, she said. She softened her tone and added. I'm going down into town for a bit. Stretch my legs, see some friends. I'll be back before dinner. With a sideways glance at her mother's frown, she added. I'll see to the walkway then, I promise. Mother folded her lips but said no more. Malta let Althea get almost to the door before she asked curiously, Are you going to see that bead maker again? She made a pretense of rubbing her eyes as she set aside her own pen. I might, Althea said evenly. Malta heard the restrained annoyance in her voice. So now we see, from Malta's point of view, again how calculating she is every single scene she's in she is acting in it yeah she is putting on a show measuring each movement against what would make people view her in the best light and view her barbs as innocent trying to stir the the hornet's nest of the women in the family I don't even know if it's necessarily that all of her barbs need to be viewed as innocent, but all of the barbs need to hit precisely as though she wasn't calculating which barb would hurt most. And it just, she just luckily happened upon one that worked. So Malta brings up Amber here. Ronica makes a little noise and Althea turns back to Ronica and asks, What? Ronica gives a small shrug and then says, Nothing. I just wish you would not spend so much time with her so openly. She is not Bingtown, you know. And some say she is no better than the new traders. She is my friend, Althea said flatly. The talk about town is that she has been squatting in the Ludlux live ship. 
that poor ship has never been right, and she has so unhinged him by living there that when the Ludlucks sent some men to move her out of their rightful property, the ship had a fit. He said he'd rip their arms off if they tried to come aboard. You can imagine how distressing that was to Trader Ludluck. Amos has tried for years to keep her family name clean of scandal. Now it has been stirred again, and with all the old tales of how Paragon went mad and killed everyone aboard him, it is entirely that woman's fault. She should not be meddling in traitor business. Mother, Althea's patience sounded strained, there is a great deal more to that story than you have heard. If you wish, I'll tell you all I know, but later, when only adults are around. So I think, first of all, my main question in reading this is, how does Veronica know the rumors about Amber and what's going on with the Ludluck ships if Veronica doesn't ever go anywhere? She does, though. She leaves, just like she's gone when uh, Brashing comes later in the chapter. True. She didn't for like the year and a half when Efren was sick and dying and then after he died a bit, but... Remember, she kind of woke up to it and had to be the matriarch of the household again. So she has been going out and doing things. They got rid of all their servants, so they have to go to the town to get, you know, supplies and things like that themselves. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Because otherwise I was like, I just don't know how we're supposed to believe that she knows the gossip in town (laughs) if she's a homebody and never (laughs) leaves the house. But I guess you're right. They don't have servants to run errands. So at the very least, she's going out and doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. And she talks about being in the market sometimes, things like mm-hmm. that, of reflecting about slavery. Right. But also, how would, I guess this question can wait, but how does Malta know anything about the bead maker or the bead maker's reputation that she talks about in a little bit? Because is Malta going with them on these trips or is she being left at home? You know, because. I mean, I don't think Malta's cooped up at home the whole time. I don't think that they're keeping her in the house. She still has her friends and she still probably goes and does stuff. They probably bring her along. Her friends are definitely the gossip sort. Right. But I don't know. I just, I don't know. It feels like not very long ago, we had a chapter where Veronica and Kefria said that they weren't going to let Malta just run about freely anymore. She had to learn how to do the books and do everything. She wants to be an adult. She needs to learn what it means to be an adult, which meant staying at home and doing adult stuff, which implied to me that she would not be going to visit friends anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she has, I don't know. I don't think it's a, a black and white this or that kind of thing. I think it was more of a, if you're going to act like a woman, you have to start learning adult things which means not as much freedom okay but i think she still has freedom sure i don't know but as you said malta has some rumors of her own about amber here so when althea says i'll talk to you later only when adults are around malta rises to that bait and says the bead maker has an odd reputation about town. Oh, everyone says she is a wonderful artist. However, as we all know, artists can be strange. She lives with a woman who dresses and acts like a man. Did you know that? Jack is from the six duchies or one of those barbarian lands. That is just how women behave up there. Grow up, Malta, and stop listening to dirty little whispers. Malta drew herself up to her full height. Usually I ignore such gossip until I hear our own... Family name dragged into it. 
I know it is scarcely ladylike to discuss, discuss such things, but I feel you should know that some people say that you visit the beadmaker for the same reason, to sleep with her. During the ensuing shocked silence, Malta added a spoonful of honey to her tea. As she stirred it, the sound of the spoon against the cup seemed almost merry. So this is Malta really digging in and trying to imply in front of Ronica and trying to create an argument between Ronica and Althea with, you know, her as the instigator of like, you're not doing things properly. And she goes in this later too, saying that she's just been so bored and she's trying to create fights and it's not really working. (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting that she has decided that Number one, this is an angle that will work. And number two, that this is enough to be hurtful. And I think right. it's it's really telling that she's wrong in that Althea isn't upset for the reasons Malta thinks she is, first of all. But also, Althea isn't really rising to this as though she is that offended. I mean, offended that her niece would say something awful like that right but like she's like i don't think people think that you know what i mean malta isn't as convincing or as smart as she thinks she is and little cracks of that i think peek through so even though she we're in her head and she's like clearly being very calculating and really driving home a blow It doesn't feel the same as earlier in the book where she was actually landing blows against her mom and uh, her grandma. This just feels like a petty attempt that isn't successful, I guess. You can scarcely blame people for talking, Malta went on after she sipped her tea. She made her voice casually conversational. After all, you were gone almost a year and then you came home dressed like a boy. You are well past marrying age, but show no interest in men. Instead, you swagger about town acting as if you were a man yourself. People are bound to speculate that you are strange. Malta, that is both unkind and untrue, Ronica said firmly. There are high spots of color on the tops of her cheeks. Althea is not too old to be considered marriageable. You well know that Greg Tanira has expressed more than a passing interest of Althea of late. And... Malta then goes on to explain away the Tanira thing, saying, oh, you know, we all know that the Taniras have expressed an even greater interest in the ability of the Vestrits to sway the Bingtown Council because they have a futile show of defiance down at the Satraps tariff dock. They have been trying to recruit others to their cause, so she's implying that Greg is only after Althea because of their votes. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I want to know how much of what she is saying is fueled by gossip that she is actually hearing and how much of it is her with personal knowledge just trying to stir the pot. Right. Because if there was talk about Althea in town swaggering about like a man or dressing like a man, that had to have come from Malta directly. So she is either admitting to being part of the gossip mill or... It's not real gossip. She's just trying to get under their skin. So I don't know if they care either way because this is just dumb. But I don't know. It's just it's really weird to me. Yeah, there. Malt is definitely, as she says later, bored. And she's definitely trying really hard <laughs> yeah. to create some excitement. 
Of course, Althea denies everything, like, and it's scarcely futile, their defiance, the Tanira's defiance. This is very important for our future, and then says good afternoon to her mom and leaves. She also specifically is calling out Malta's immaturity and lack of knowledge by continuously saying, I don't expect you to understand because you're a child and I don't have time to under to explain in child's terms what is going on in the intricacies. If you can't figure that out, grow up and, you know, like, sorry that you're a child and don't understand anything outside of a child's viewpoint. And then leaves, like you said. But I think it is important to note that there is this underlying Althea's really driving home. Malta, you are just a kid and you don't know anything. Right. Which is feeding into the narrative for Malta that everybody (laughs) only sees her as a child and nobody, they all hate her or whatever. But also Malta brings it on herself by how she chooses to act and because she is a child. (laughs) And we've talked about how Althea has been maturing from the first chapter we met her, but she's Mm -hmm. still young. She's still impulsive and not tactful. She's always going to be kind of blunt and like that as well. Yeah, fair. But I also don't think that this is immaturity on Althea's part. I think it's pretty mature to have all these accusations slung at her. Right. I wasn't saying that at all. I was saying that in the face of this, she's still attacking Malta's maturity as a response which in it of itself is a continuation of her character and not she has not matured out of that. She responds well by kind of ignoring and saying like there are good reasons for it you just don't quite understand but she goes in on the you are a child. <laughs> I guess I don't know I feel like it has been a little bit of time and it's clear that all I'm saying is that Yes, Althea has matured from the first time we met her, but she is still not a well-composed adult. And I don't think she ever will be super well-composed like Ronica is. I just that's not her. very vehemently disagree with you on that point. I don't think this shows Althea being uncomposed at all. I think she's being flat out with Althea or with Malta and spelling out like okay everybody else wants to dance around the topic she's being a lot more blunt she's not artfully dancing around the topic but i yeah. but i don't think that's immaturity i think that is showing a kindness of okay clearly you like to dance around the topic but i'm not going to let you do that and i'm not going to pretend like we all don't know that you're being childish right now you are being childish and so i'm going to treat you that way okay that's how i'm reading it i guess yeah. so like i don't think that's like bluntness from immaturity or lack of uh experience i think that's more just knowing who malta is and malta will just keep dancing around the topic to get her reaction and recognizing that and just being like okay i'm not gonna let you dance around if you want to say something say it to my face and if you aren't brave enough to say that i'm gonna tell you i i think that malta got partially the reaction she wanted though from althea That's why I I say it like she's just Althea is, as you said, very blunt. She is very, as I said, very uncontrolled. And unlike Ronica, who can restrain herself and say things, I'm just saying that that's kind of a continuation of Althea's character. She's always kind of like this. And even though we were talking about her maturing and becoming more, you know, thoughtful and everything like that, 
we still see hints of her from when she was a fresh little baby aboard the Vivacia in chapter I, one. Yeah, I guess what I'm what I want to stress is that I don't think this is a emotional reaction where she's not in fully in control of what her reaction is, if that makes sense. Like just because Ronica's controlled reaction is to hold her tongue doesn't mean that a controlled reaction cannot be to not hold your tongue, if that makes sense. Like yeah, that's fair. So that I think that's where the- Yeah. So Althea sweeps out. She's very angry, obviously, at uh, Malta's barbs and leaves and says good afternoon, mother. And there's a silence and Malta pushes her desk away and then Ronica asks, "Why did you do that?" There was no real anger in her voice, rather it was a flask, flat curiosity. I did nothing, Malta protested. Before Ronica could dispute that, she asked, Why can Althea abruptly announce she is tired of our work and take herself off to town? If I attempted that, Althea is older than you. She's more mature. She's accustomed to making her own decisions. She's kept her part of the bargain we struck. She's lived quietly and respectfully. She has not. If she has not, then why are there rumors? I have heard no rumors. Her grandmother picked up the now empty basket and pitcher. She centered the fresh vase of flowers on the table. I think I've had enough of you for now, she said. Good afternoon, Malta. As before, there was no anger in her voice, only a strange flatness and a sort of hopelessness. On her face, she wore a look of distaste. She turned and walked away from Malta without another word. When she was around the corner, but not quite out of earshot, Malta spoke aloud to herself. She hates me. That old woman hates me. Oh, I hope father gets back soon. He will quickly put things right around here. Veronica Vestrit's steps did not even falter. Malta slumped back in her chair. She pushed away the too sweet tea. Everything here was so dull since rain had left. She could not even provoke her relatives into quarreling. The boredom was driving her mad. Lately, she found herself nettling those around her simply to stir them up. She missed the excitement and importance of Rain's visit. She ends that with, what good was a beau who lived far away? So yeah, we have Ronica just understanding where Malta is coming from and giving up on her here. It's just that flat, why did you do that? I'm not even going to say that that was wrong or like you have problems because nothing is going to change with you. I've had enough of time spent with you. I'm gone. Bye, Malta. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for Malta because in this situation, Ronica is the adult and should be trying to teach her, even if it seems futile. And it wouldn't be a good feeling that all the adults around you have given up on you after not really even trying to be fair but also i get it because being around malta would be awful and ronica isn't malta's mom right kefria's her mom and and she's already had a conversation with kefria about staying out of (laughs) malta's education Mm -hmm. so i think it's a weird place where i do feel as though ronica has more obligation to malta that she should be working on but i also get that it's a weird place to be anyway it just i feel bad because yeah malta does have potential right like she does she could be a great force for the 
Vestrit women and household. She just, it's been too, it's kind of too late, too little too late to recognize that. And I don't know how they could have fixed it, but it's hard to like, they literally do hate Malta is the thing. like as much as it's annoying and <laughs> Malta's like they hate me poor pitiful me and it's like well it's kind of your own actions also she is like 13 and her whole family verbally hates her yeah <laughs> so she's not necessarily wrong and as much as it's easy to brush it aside because she is not an easy to like character that's still their family member that they are allowing her Still to a know. child yeah she is a child and they're letting her know how much they dislike her i don't know i do feel for her a little bit yeah in your in points in your uh your theory there that she kind of made stuff up ronica says that she has heard no rumors about mm-hmm. althea or amber in this case as well right so it's either coming straight from her imagination or from her mouth in particular right so i mean that kind of again she admits it almost saying that I'm just trying to pick fights to stir up (laughs) the households. She's just bored, so she wants to pick a fight, which is also, I don't know, doesn't make it easy to be sympathetic to her. Right. Because why would you choose to be like that? Ugh, Malta. I don't know. But also, I get it in a lot of, I don't know. It's hard. I'm trying to be nicer to Malta. But anyway, we do have that, that sense of all hope is lost on Malta ever being a good person. And... Ronica just doesn't care anymore. And nothing that Malta is saying is going to hurt Ronica's feelings because Ronica kind of doesn't care what Malta thinks. So that's probably a lot of why Malta has lost the ability to wind everybody up because they all just know it's not as shocking anymore. Before it was right. shocking that she could act this way and there was hope that maybe she would change her mind. But now they know that's just who she is and no amount of reasoning is going to get through to her. She's right. just doing it to wind them up. Yeah. Well, Malta is sitting here being like, everything's so boring, you know, and I'm falling back into ordinariness and chores and Althea gets to do whatever she wants. But, you know, things are going to be fine when my father comes back. I find it really interesting, Malta's grabbing on to this idea that Althea is free to do whatever she wants and it's not fair because from what we see, Althea is also doing work and chores. Right. She's also part of the family. Sure, she's going out and doing things that she wants to do, but she is a lot older than Malta and has proven that she's not going to go out and ruin the family's reputation by going out, (laughs) unlike Malta, who at every chance makes the worst possible decision. And Malta just cannot understand that difference. And she is really hanging on to the fact that Althea gets to do whatever she wants, even though she's ignoring the fact that Althea is also doing the work, too. Right. Doing the work. And Althea has usually good judgment about what she is doing out and about in town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, she says her father would be home long before then, before the uh, garden would be completely unkempt. With a pocket full of money, he would put things right. There would be servants again and good food and wine. He would be home any day now. She was sure of it. She clenched her teeth as she thought of the conversation at the dinner table last night. Mother had worried aloud that the ship was so late in returning. Aunt Althea had added that there was no word of Vivacia down at the docks. None of the ships arriving in Bingtown reported seeing her. Mother had said that perhaps Kyle had chosen to bypass Bingtown and take his cargo straight to Chalced. 
None of the ships arriving from that direction have seen her either, Althea had reported darkly. I wonder if he ever intended to return to Bingtown. Perhaps from Jamalia, he simply sailed south. She had said the words cautiously, feigning that she didn't intend to offend anyone. Mother had quietly but fiercely said Kyle would not do that. After that, Aunt Althea had kept silent. She had killed all the talk at the table. Just a little brief reflection before she moves on to her boredom once again, but it goes to show that things are still dire. We still have not heard anything, and Bingtown has no news of Vivacia at all. Right. There's also this weird thought coming from Malta that her father's going to magically sweep in and fix everything. It again is pointing to her immaturity and lack of, I don't know, experience, I guess, because she's sitting there working the books every single day. She sees the debt they are in and sees the amounts that they owe in payments like there is but her dad promised and he's making a ton of money from this shipping run so obviously it's just gonna pay everything right but it just is one of those (laughs) things where it's it's not even that she doesn't understand the cost of things anymore she is just so delusional when it comes to her dad because even if he came in and paid off the debts she thinks he's making enough money to pay off all those debts incur new ones for the next run and pay for the servants the whole time he's gone Right. If that were possible, why would it have gotten to this point in the first place? It's just things have gotten really bad and (laughs) she just really cannot accept. She truly believes that that is just made up by her mom and grandma, that they're making choices to have them not have servants to like make her feel like they're poor, to punish her in some weird way. But her father would never let that happen. But it's like, okay, I don't know how he's gonna make money appear out of thin air, but I don't it's just so strange to me because she like is so calculating about everything else. And I know that we've had talks about this and people have written in and like she is a child and she has that faith in her father and he's this mythical creature that always makes things better and he always comes in with money in his pocket. But at the same time, she is actually living in a reality where she sees the bills and how much things cost. I just don't see how, as smart as she is, she can't put two and two together. Why wouldn't she have a more realistic version of, sure, he's going to come in and fix things. That's but- that's her only hope, though, right? And why wouldn't she cling to that? That's that's the hope that things will go right. He's the missing piece when it comes back. Everything's going to be fine. I mean, like we said, she's 13. She's a child. She's starting to grasp certain things. But hope is a a strong emotion. It's a very big thing. And it's kind of the same thing that, you know, Althea and Brashen would cling to just some hope down the line, right? Even if it's illogical. This yeah. is her thing that she's holding on to. Yeah, that her dad's going to fix everything. Fair enough. She has a kind of rumination about control and thoughts about her being the puppet to everybody. And that continues with her thought of the dream box. She's like, I'm really bored. Maybe I should do use the dream box because I really want to. It's a forbidden excitement. We kissed last time. What else could happen? But she doesn't want to be Rain's puppet. So she didn't follow his instructions. She didn't use it 10 10 days after he left. That was a lesson that Sirwin had learned as well. Just that 
she wouldn't dance to anybody's tune, basically. Yeah, she's really obsessed with this idea that everybody in the world besides her father is trying to use her and tell her what she can and cannot do. And they because they want her to do whatever they say blindly. And it's. It's interesting that she's putting it that way. I don't think she's necessarily wrong that there are people telling her what to do and expecting her to follow that. But I don't think it's as nefarious as everybody just wants her to be a puppet blindly dancing to the tune of their song. And to see her just, oh, it's all every single person alive wants to control me, but I cannot be controlled. Like, I don't know. We all are controlled to some extent. That's how society works. We live in a society. You follow the rules of society. There's your puppet strings right there. Like her family allows her to speak her mind. And if she could give good reason why she doesn't want to follow something that they said, I think they would listen to her, but she doesn't care. Yeah. She is convinced that they're out to get her. Only her. Mm-hmm. And everything is nobody else just has, to harm her. Yeah. Nobody else has to follow any rules or do things they don't want to do. Right. Everybody else is living their best lives. It's just her that's suffering at all. Which is crazy because it's like, seriously, you are watching your whole family suffer and you're like, no, they're doing that because they like suffering. Okay, Malta. Her thoughts bring her to Serwin who she has a note from and Sorin wants to meet her at midnight, which is the day that she's thinking about this, I believe. Well, he doesn't want to. He says that he'll meet her anytime, any place she wants, and he'll bring Dello. She decided it would be today at midnight. Yes. Okay. And he can't stand the fact that she's going to be given to a Rainwild trader and wants to forestall anything says please 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 if she had any feelings for him at all she must meet with with him so that they might discuss what could be done to to forestall this tragedy and she loves this melodramatic sense of everything she always talks about how it's like a minstrel song and she wants everything perfect like that and expects things to go that way yeah well he's being super romantic by sending her a secret letter that he penned himself about how much he loves her and can't stand the thought of her being taken by anybody else and Della's really playing that up too yeah. <laughs> describing how he's basically distraught not doing anything not eating <laughs> and he's getting in trouble at home his father is saying you know I didn't didn't banish one son just to have the other one also be lazy so there's a lot going on at that house but it, I also think that she really likes that he isn't he's showing how much he likes her but not telling her what to do back, if that makes sense. Right. He's letting her be in charge. She can choose to show him a crumb of affection, please. And she loves that. Oh, yeah. That is the big attraction. She likes being the puppeteer, not the puppet. (laughs) So when Dello had come to deliver the secret message, Malta put on another play. She looks to the side, lets a tear trickle out and says that it's not her fault and she w- she doesn't want to give Serwin false hope with her grandmother controlling everything. She was no more now than a shiny bauble to be sold off to the highest bidder. She would do her best to stave off everything until her father returned home. She was certain he would rather see her in the arms of a man she cared for than one who was simply the wealthiest. Then she had given Dello a message to carry back. She dared not entrust it to paper but would have to rely on her best friend's honor. 
Malta would meet him at midnight at the gazebo just past the ivy-covered oak at the bottom of the rose garden. <laughs> so yeah, yes. everything yeah. is playing out perfectly for her. Right. And she re- really relishes in these little performances she can give people. And it's, she doesn't even know if she's going to go. <laughs> no, she's like, I don't know, maybe I won't go because then he'll know that he has me. It's I, I can always plead that my guardians were too strict. Right. It's so weird. And also him staying out all night isn't going to hurt him. She's just so childish. It's just very immature yeah, and, and manipulative and manipulative and just really shows how little care she has for anybody else. She sees everybody else as actors on a stage. She yeah. does not see them as real people with real lives and real consequences to her actions. Very strong main character energy. Yeah. She, everybody else is an NPC. <laughs> to be fair, she is a character in a book and one of the main characters. So <laughs> she isn't wrong. Then we jump over to Althea, who is venting to Greg. Greg met her in the market on the way to uh, Amber's place and kind of convinced her to have some tea together. Except he's not drinking tea. He's drinking beer. Oh, yeah. Nice little afternoon beer. But also like lame that she can't have a beer with him because, you know, she would prefer that. (laughs) So Althea is saying the worst part is that she has spirit and intelligence. I look at her and think there. But for my father's interference, go I. If he had not taken me to see if I had been forced to stay at home and be suffocated under what was proper and correct for a girl to do, I might have rebelled in the same way. I think my mother and sister are wrong to allow her to dress and behave as if she was a woman grown, but she is certainly not a child either. She has set herself up in opposition to all of us, and we will not open her eyes to see that we are one family and must act together. She is so busy defending her notion of her father's perfection that she cannot even see our other problems. As for Selden, he has almost disappeared. He mouses about the house and scarcely speaks above a whisper, except when he is whining. Then they give him sweets and tell him to run and play. They are busy. Malta is supposed to help him with his lessons, but all she does is make him cry. I don't have time to do anything with him, even if I knew what what it was a boy that age needs. Althea shook her head in exasperation and hissed out a sigh. Do you agree with that, that Althea would be similar if she was forced to stay at home? Mm, I think they definitely have a lot of similarities. They both want freedom. They both want to... Be independent. Be independent and not choose the path that's chosen for them. Yeah. I think the main difference, like Althea said, is that Althea wasn't forced to think of the only way she could get her way is by being a proper woman. Like she wasn't instilled. Those values weren't instilled on her. And so she knows that there are a lot more paths to take and it doesn't mean that they're improper. Whereas Malta was only given the rules, the confines of what a woman is in their society and mm-hmm. told anything outside of that is bad and wrong and you'll die alone and it's just horrible, the worst thing that could happen to you to go off this path. And so she's only making choices on the path because she's like, at least I get to make the choices. So I, I agree. I, I really think that Althea would be very similar down to the father worship. Yeah. Efren would be away and that's the life that Althea would want to live and would be like 
my father can do no wrong. Right. She's still already kind of like that. Definitely. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can I can see it and I agree with her assessment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely see. I don't know. It's hard because it's hard to think of Althea as playing men against themselves to have fun. Right. And yeah. I don't think Althea is as calculated Oh, yeah, I don't think calculating she has as that, of people in general or that casual cruelty. Yeah, it just that feels like something that I don't think Efren or Ronica could have instilled in her. I think that is a right a Kefria's casual cruelty towards her daughter of by not being there and um, her father's Kyle's attitude towards women that have made Malta the way that she is that yeah. wouldn't have been replicated in Althea. So I, I do think Althea would have rebelled in a way by trying to become a woman earlier than normal or trying to find the best suitor. Because that's, I mean, I, I can see that too, because then she would be able to be an adult and make more of her own decisions. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what Malta wants. Yeah. And I think, I don't think though that she would like, be putting on little plays for every single person right, and yeah. trying to like I, it just feels they're like still different people yeah, yeah definitely but i do see the similarities mm-hmm. how about selden we don't really talk about him much because he's fairly invisible <laughs> and he's just a little kid that's basically hiding in the house that isn't brought up because he doesn't want to be underfoot and later on he has one one or two lines <laughs> yeah <laughs> think of the next chapter it's really hard because it's odd to me that both Selden and Wintrow are these kind, compassionate, emotional men. And then Malta is not compassionate or emotional, really. It just is so odd to me. I guess Wintrow makes sense to be so different from Malta because he left at a young age to go to the monastery. Right. That makes sense. But then what about Selden? You would think Kyle would have been in there like, be a real man, no crying. I think it's because he's still a baby. uh, Yeah, like he's still really little that none of that really came about. And besides, Kyle dotes on Malta, right? Like that's his favorite. So did he have much time with Selden? Does anyone have much time with Selden? Probably not. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, he's just, again, he just seems like an afterthought. And I know he becomes a big character in the Rainwild Chronicles, but it's just, yeah, to me, that it's one of the most neglected parts is some of these side characters. It's Kefria, it's Selden, because they're pretty much forgotten later on. They're just plot points. Yeah. It, yeah, it does make me sad. I mean, what is Selden doing all day? They don't have any servants. I guess maybe he's with Rach, but like... Probably not, because Rach doesn't like being around him. It reminds him, reminds yeah. her of his own, her own son. So where is he all day? What is he doing? He's only like mentioned occasionally for convenience. It's he's the flattest character I think Robin Hobb has presented us with. Right. Yeah. It just we don't really know much more about him than that he's a scaredy cat, according to Malta. <laughs> so she is venting to Greg. And he is trying to comfort her, but she's like feeling bad that she's just unloading all of her, <laughs> all of her worries and problems on him. She's saying like, I, I know I, I shouldn't be speaking about my family like this. It's not really proper. I know she goes into my room when I'm not alone. 
Malta just gets on my nerves. I shouldn't let the little minx get to me. I see now why mother and my sister agreed to this early courtship. It might be our only chance to get rid of her. Althea, Greg rebuked her with a grin. I am sure they would not do that. No, they actually have the best interests of all in mind. Mother has told me plainly that she expects Rain will drop the courtship when he gets to know Malta better. If it were up to me, I'd hurry it along before he gets wise. No, you wouldn't, Greg says. You haven't got that kind of meanness in you. Are you sure of that? She teased him gently. He widened his blue eyes in mock alarm. Oh, let us please speak of something else. Anything would be a more pleasant topic. And she turns it to the Bingtown Council. Right. And what's going on down at the docks with the Tanira family yep. and the Ophelia? Because we've had some time pass now. And the last time we saw them, they had just started their defiance, not paying or anything like that. Right. And we learn that Bingtown Council has finally agreed to let them speak their mind about this, but they have been sitting for a long time at the dock, can't unload their cargo, they have been refusing to paying, and nobody else has joined in their defiance. Right. They they really expected people to go along with this because one person stood up and nobody is. Yeah. Everybody else is just paying the fee and going on. And, and Greg's worried that they can't go on like this very much longer. Right. And if they do, it will ruin the family. There yeah. will be no nothing to worry about because they won't have anything to their name. I think also importantly is that they're still doing it. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Greg kind of feels when we last saw him, he was like, yeah, this is what's right. We should do this. And now it feels like he... It's kind of been worn down. He is tired of this. Nobody's really following. He mentions that it's been harder to get the trader council to meet to talk about this than it has been to stand up against the tax dock. And that's been really challenging, knowing that the people that you're standing up for don't care enough to even meet up quickly right. to discuss. Yeah, it's yeah, definitely things are looking less good. <laughs> But he changed the subject as well, saying, like, you don't need more bad news. Let's turn it to something that's good because Amber fixed Ophelia's hands, reshaped them. They're, they're done. It's been difficult for Ophelia, although she says she does not feel pain as we do. I feel it as discomfort and loss when Greg's voice trailed away. Althea did not press him. She understood that speaking of what he shared with his life ship could be too self-revealing. And then she switches to thinking about that loss with Vivacia. And she is wondering maybe Kyle would just abandon them. The man had a priceless ship in his control, a vessel he did not really have any right to own. If he took it south, he could operate as if he owned the ship free and clear. He could be a wealthy man with no responsibilities save himself. So she's really worried about everything that could have gone wrong. And that's, I think, just the weeks with no news because she never thought about this before. Yeah, I find it really interesting, though, that instead of worrying that something bad has happened, like pirates or the ship sank. She's like, no, Kyle left. Because yeah. uh, we have to remember, I, I thought that weird, too. But then I remembered it's a live ship. No one catches live ships. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the common wisdom. They're too fast. Right. But also, does that mean they're unsinkable at sea if a storm happens, you know? Right. So, like, wouldn't that also cross our mind? But she doesn't even let that cross our mind. And maybe... No single live ship has ever gone down besides Paragon, you know, like. I think that's true. So I guess. But yeah, she's definitely 
latching onto this idea that Kyle has really played the long game and the second he was able to take over the ship has left for good. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is what he thought of her, like, that she would do. So, right. I get it. <laughs> so, Greg is saying, like, you know, I know this is really hard. When we sail for Jamelia, we'll ask every ship that we pass for news. And she says, thank you. Then, as his look became too tender, she distracted him and went yeah. back to Ophelia. So she's still, you know, kind of struggling with her feelings or lack of feelings with Greg. Right. And she's enjoying this companionship. She knows that he is a good guy, but it's just too uncomfortable. And so she changes it to Ophelia, the topic to Ophelia and says that she has been missing Ophelia. Um, she just hasn't been able to go down to speak to her because of the agreement she made with her mom yep more than repair she had to reshape them as a whole to keep the more slender figures proportional greg speaking of how ophelia or how amber fixed ophelia's hands when ophelia expressed concern for the scraps of wizard wood that had to be removed amber made a practice of saving every scrap in a special box they never left the foredeck the loss of them seemed very threatening to ophelia I was surprised that someone not of Bingtown stock could be so perceptive to the ship's distress. Now she has gone one step further. After consulting with Ophelia, she has gained my father's permission to refashion the larger scraps into a bracelet for the ship. She will cut the pieces into fine rods and bars and then peg them together. No other live ship in the harbor possesses such jewelry, made not only by a prominent artist, but carved of her own wizard wood. Ophelia is ecstatic. Althea smiled, but was still slightly incredulous as she asked, Your father permits Amber to work wizardwood? I thought that was forbidden. And Greg hastens to say, Oh, no, 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 this is, this is different. Amber's only restoring to Ophelia as much of her wizardwood as she can. My family discussed this in great depth before my father permitted it. And her integrity weighed heavily in the decision, and we agreed that she can do this, because my mother and her have struck up a friendship. Yeah, and not only that, but with the box of the bits of wizard wood that were on the deck, that she was keeping in the box on the deck, they were watching that box the whole time. And Amber never tried to take any of the pieces away, yeah. and she never tried to do anything with them, because even a sliver of that wood is worth mm -hmm. a ton of money. And so knowing... And she, she brought tools back from her shop to the the deck of the ship and like only worked on the ship and mm -hmm. like was totally agreeing with all of their terms. Yeah. Anything that they said, she went with it. And so that really helped them know that she is trustworthy and also is capable of doing this without ferreting any of it away right, for yeah. her own wealth, which is really nice. And I think not surprising for us readers who know Amber and know Amber as the fool, mm -hmm. like beloved would never take someone's I, something personal from yeah. someone away from them. And yeah, so it's nice to see that they also agree that Amber has great character. Greg continues talking about his mother, that his mother and Ophelia were friends even before she had married his father. And when, when the damage was known to Ophelia's hands, of course, his mother was very distraught and very upset with uh, his father, Tomi Tanira, when he agreed that somebody should rework and fix the hands without consulting her. <laughs> yeah, she was. Apparently, she is known for having a great temper. So Althea yes. laughs at the stone faced 
little telling of this disagreement that she knows was absolutely way more than that with her temper. <laughs> it woke an answering grin on on Greg's handsome face. For an instant, she glimpsed a carefree sailor rather than the conservative Bingtown trader that was his other face. Here in Bingtown, Greg was far more aware of both his family's reputation and Bingtown propriety. He dresses like an actual Bingtown trader's son, and it made him seem older, more serious, and stable. Her heart gave a small leap of interest that a wicked grin could still light his face. The trader was an interesting and respectable man. The sailor was an attractive one. So again, we see her love of rogues. Yeah. And not of proper, I guess, properness. Yeah. <laughs> Propriety. Yeah. He, he's just... He's just too normal. <laughs> he, I think... Too normal, too nice. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I don't think we need to talk about it right now because she goes more into depth with Amber soon. And so we'll talk about yeah, it then. Yeah, yeah. But I will say, I don't think this was just a case of him being a nice guy and she's like, he's too nice. She wants the bad boy. But <laughs> there is definitely a hint of that in right. this. It's not like that's not part of the reason. So with... Uh... Naria, I believe that's uh yeah, Naria Tanira's love of Ophelia. She insisted she was she would be there with Ophelia while Amber was working on her hands, and they chatted nonstop and developed a friendship. The result has been surprising. Mother has become virulently anti-slavery. The other day she accosted a man on a street. There was a little girl with a tattooed face carrying his parcels. Mother knocked the passage at packages from the child's hands and told the man he should be ashamed at having such a young child away from her mother then she brought the girl home i don't know what we will do with her she is too scared to say more than a few words at a time but my mother says that the child has no relatives in bingtown she was torn from her family and sold like a calf as greg spoke his voice thickened with suppressed emotion this was a new side of him and Althea asked, like, did anything happen during that yeah, story? Like, how did somebody react to their slave being taken from uh, from them? And he's like, well, he shouted, but like, what else can he do? He can't go up to a council or the authorities and say, this woman stole my property that is illegal to have in Bingtown. Yeah. And on top of that, his mom wasn't alone. Their cook was with them. Yeah. And, and the cook is this big, big a big beefy boy <laughs> <laughs> who does not take kindly to the man shouting at his mistress. So right. there was definitely like she had protection, first of all, but also he has no leg to stand on. It's illegal. Mm -hmm. And all the people watching didn't help either. They just laughed at him right. or scoffed. Yeah. So Greg says that his mother already declares that when the Bingtown Council hears our grievances against the satrap's servants, she will bring up the matter of slavery as well. She intends to demand that our laws against it be enforced. So Amber is earning valuable allies in that fight. Yeah, definitely. And this is kind of shocking to us, uh, to Althea. I don't know. It's not necessarily that she is against standing up against slavery but it feels like she's how just, vocal it is yeah she doesn't it feels not polite and it also i think there are bigger issues at hand and so she's like oh this issue can wait and so hearing this she's just kind of like how is she going to make a difference just by asking them to enforce the laws we already have right and greg comes at back at her and says 
I don't know, but we have to try. Yeah. Like, it's not good enough to just say it's too hard. There needs to be action done. And I think it's fine to try and ask. And then he mentions that Amber has been telling them about how she thinks that a lot of the slaves have yet to come forward to admit that they're being illegally kept because they're being told that they will be killed and no one will help them if they and, come and forward. And no one will care. And yeah. no one will they care. They just live in fear. Yeah. And so they truly believe that nobody is on their side. And so they don't think to come forward. But if the trader council can show that they're in favor of them, he thinks that they could have a great upper leg on the new traders because then all the slaves will walk out. Yeah. Because they far outnumber their masters. She also feels that if Bingtown does not act soon to restore their rightful freedom, there will be a bloody rebellion that will ruin the whole city. So, we help them regain their rightful freedom soon, or we will all go down in flames when they take it for themselves? Something like that. And that's an amber prediction there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, definitely a little bit more than just speculation. But, right. But... Amber, or uh, sorry, Althea now is kind of looking a little distraught and sad. And Greg takes that as her feeling sorry about the situation and worried. And he tries to comfort her, saying, we're doing all that can be done. We go before the council tomorrow night. Maybe we can bring them to their senses, both about the satraps tariff and slavery in Bingtown. And she replies, perhaps you're right, glumly. But she doesn't tell him that the real reason she's glum is because she's been sitting here this whole time waiting for the spark, waiting for her to feel like Greg is the one. She wants to feel something for him. She wants to find him so attractive and she wants to love, be in love with him. But unfortunately, she just doesn't feel that way. She just feels friendship. Mm -hmm. She waited in vain. She felt only affectionate friendship. She had sighed, wondering why a decent and respectable man like Greg Tanira could not stir her heart and senses as Brash and Trell had. I think this is also a really good insight into how similar Malta and Althea are. They both want that romance, they both want love, and they both want someone who loves them mm -hmm. and loves them in a way that doesn't take away their personhood. Right. Speaking of Brashen... We get a little uh, Brashen point of view now. He has docked in Bingtown. He's left Spring Eve and he's walking to the Vestrid place. And he says he almost went around to the back door. Then some remnant of old pride made him stride up to the front and ring the bell. He doesn't know that <laughs> the Vestrids are on very hard times right now. Right. He's not really focusing on that. His head is kind of in the clouds because he's excited to see Althea. Yeah. He is mostly distracted throughout this whole portion of Althea's here, maybe here, and maybe I get to see her and what's it going to be like and how she's going to react and a little bit less of I'm here to bring horrible, horrible news about Vivacia. So he isn't really paying attention to his surroundings very well, but he does knock on the door and he says a serving woman opens it. I just want to point out what he's wearing real quick. Oh, uh, he has a yellow silk shirt of the finest quality, as the scarf was at his neck as well. 
The dark blue trousers and short jacket he wore had seen some mending, but the work of his own needle never shamed a good sailor, and if the fabric and cut were more suited to the Pirates of the, I- Pirates of the Isles than to a Bingtown trader's son, well, that's where he mostly was. So he's not fully ashamed of how he's dressing, but he's dressing more like a pirate. Yes. He looks is. kind of like a scoundrel to everybody else. Yeah, the <laughs> fact that he is wearing bright colors is a pretty good indicator dark blue and yellow yeah a pretty good indicator of the kind of people he's hanging around because apparently everybody in town and all the traders all wear more neutral tones i guess yeah i mean it's a very conservative society i guess maybe it's just like the fact that his shirt is yellow that's the bad thing because i feel like everybody wears white shirts they talk about the cut as well the cut of his clothes is different Mm. it looks more like a pirate thing than a than town so fair i think just like the the whole style but yeah everyone is yellow yellow is not a very often seen color (laughs) or described in big town either way he has come to the door and knocked and what he thinks is a serving woman answers also uh i do want to point out there was a small sin and burn at the corner of his mouth where he had fallen asleep while indulging but his current mustache hid most of that. A small smile came and went on his face. If Althea got close enough to see it, he doubted she'd be thinking about it. Which, next chapter, we see is false. Yes. <laughs> also, we know that it's not as well hidden as he thinks. At least not yeah. to Althea, which, because Althea knows what it is, I'm yeah. sure other people aren't really looking like that. But yes, a well-rigged young woman, a serving woman, answers the door. She returned his cheery grin with an affronted stare. Did you wish something? She asked him haughtily. He winked at her. I could wish for a more courteous greeting, but I doubt that it would get me one. I'm here to see Althea Vestrit. If she's not available, I'd like to meet with Ronica Vestrit. I've news that won't wait. And of course, we know this is Malta. Yes. Ration still is not aware of that fact, but Malta tells him... Good day. Yeah, good day. (laughs) They're not here. (laughs) Good luck. And he steps forward and blocks the door with his foot. And says, okay, but if Althea's back from sea, though, right? She has been home for weeks, from sea for weeks. Let go, she spat at him. His heart lurched with relief. She was home, safe. The girl was still tugging at the door he gripped. He decided the time for tact was past. I won't leave. I can't. I bring important news. I won't be put off by a serving girl's tantrum. Let me in right now, or both your mistresses will be greatly displeased with you. The little maid fell back a step, gasping in shock. Yeah, so the gasping in shock part is definitely not from... Him him, forcing his way in. Well, it kind of is. I mean, I think it's her gasp is more from him insinuating that she's a servant. And I think that is what she's gasping at. I don't think she cares that he's forcing his way in. I mean, obviously that's scary and you wouldn't want a stranger. I think it's both, but you're probably right that she's fixated on the how dare you think I'm a servant. Right. He's looking around a little bit and notices that things aren't kept up as well as he remembers. Because the foyer was, you know, his captain's pride and joy. It's like the entrance to his house. And it's just not as nice as he remembers that. It was still clean, but nothing ever gleamed or was as bright as he can recall. So the housemaid stamps her foot and says, I am not a servant, you misbegotten bit of wharf trash. I am Malta Haven, daughter of this household. I'll thank you to take your stench out of my home. Not until I've seen Althea. 
I'll wait as long as I need to. Put me anywhere. I'll sit still and mind my manners. He peered at the girl more closely. It is Malta. Beg pardon, I didn't recognize you. Last time I saw you, you were in a little girl's frocks. He attempted to make amends for his earlier slight. He smiled down at her. My, don't you look grand today. Are you and your friends playing a tea party then? His attempt at disarming friendliness was a disaster. The girl's eyes went wide and her upper lip sneered back from her teeth in disdain. Who are you, sailor, to dare speak to me so familiarly in my father's house? Brash and Trell. And he introduces himself and says, beg pardon for not saying so sooner. I bring news of the live ship Vivacia. I need to see your aunt or grandmother immediately or your mother. Is she at home? And of course, Malta's lashes onto that like do you know if my father's okay like why are you bringing important news what yeah. is going on yeah so and he feels very sad about bringing that up in such a haphazard way because it's her family right. he's just distracted by seeing Althea and he's like oh wait <laughs> yeah this isn't great bad it's, news it's hard because it's not necessarily that Brashen has ever been the most tactful but this is so painfully not. Yes. And I really oh feel gosh, like yes. this has to be partially due to the after effects of all the drugs he's using, right? Like, he's not yeah. currently taking Sindin, so it's not currently... He's just not in the best state of mind in general. No, he's, like, going through withdrawals. He <laughs> He's thinking about taking more, and I just really think that as we're seeing Brashen now is definitely due to some sort of influence from either withdrawal or the after effects or a hangover from the his newest vice or newly renewed vice. I think it's also the boyish crush he has. Like that feeling, that giddy feeling. Ooh, Althea. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It just, I think it's just kind of compounding everything. That's fair. It just feels so over the top. And I It is. It is a bit over the top. I don't know. He just keeps sticking his foot in his mouth and it feels like watching a drunk person try to talk. Like whenever you have somebody trying to pretend that they're not as drunk as they are and they're just they keep going on as though they are super sober and it's totally fine. And you can just kind of tell that something's off. I don't right. know. So he has stuck his foot in his mouth by admitting that it, it's something about the Vivacia without taking into consideration that Malta would be affected by this news as well. And he doesn't want to lie to her, but he also doesn't want to tell her anything because it's not necessarily news that a child should hear alone. And right. Malta tries to say, well, you can leave the news with me. I'll pass it on. And he's like, oh, let's wait for adults to come because yeah. it isn't something that she should have to handle on her own. But also, thank goodness that he... <laughs> does that right. and refuses to just tell her to pass on because who knows if she would even pass the message on yeah he he says that you should send for your grandmother send a boy down because this is news she should hear first and malta's like why is something wrong for the first time the girl spoke in her own voice not a parody of an adult's oddly it made her seem more mature the sudden fear in her voice and eyes went to brashen's heart he stood tongue-tied he didn't want to lie to her. He didn't want to burden her with the truth without her mother or aunt to help her absorb the blow. He turned his hat in his hands. I think we had best wait for an adult to be here. 
And she's like, fine, I'll send Rach. Wait here. Right. And then she disappears. And for a while. <laughs> yeah, for a long while. And he's just standing in the in this area, like, okay, now what? And he's looking around and says, had the Vestrid family come on hard times or was this just Kyle being tight fisted because he sees the unkempt nature of the house? Right. And he doesn't know what's been going on. I I don't think he would have known that there was any financial trouble before the death of Efren Vestrid. Right. No. Like he he, first of all wouldn't have been privy to that information. But also... They were still keeping up appearances at that point. Even the girls, Kefria and Althea, didn't know how bad things were at home. So, of course, he doesn't know. And so to come back and it is this far different, it just really shows how much they've fallen in such a short time, but also how well they were keeping up appearances before. Well, it wasn't even that they were on the edge of destitute before. Sure, they were probably slowly getting eaten into profits on their holdings because of the slaves slowly coming in. But mm-hmm. remember, Efren had just made great connections in Island South of Jamalia for new exotic stuff. So they were planning on making a lot more money soon. Right. So it, I don't even think it was trying to hold appearances up, even though they were very poor before. I think it just kind of all collapsed because Efren got sick and died. I Maybe, but then doesn't that point to the fact that Kyle isn't being very profitable whenever he's running the ship because he already had a ship run right or is it because he had to reef no i guess maybe he took most of the profit because he had to refit the ship to be a slave ship and had to buy slaves which was yeah. probably way more expensive than normal cargo mm-hmm. not that humans are cargo but <laughs> yeah hired more crew different crew i mm-hmm. guess and yeah i don't know but you don't really have to pay the crew until the end, so no, but that wouldn't have been expensive. He probably paid people less in general than that were on Vivacia. True. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, it definitely makes me question, because if they weren't on the edge of destitution, as you think, then how did it get so bad with one missed payment? People living paycheck. We've talked about this before. Yeah, people yeah. living paycheck to paycheck. I guess. But where was that paycheck? Where'd it go? He fell sick and couldn't provide it. <laughs> but he did, that didn't stop the trade. Kyle was doing the trade for him. Yeah, but not the stuff that he was, that Efren was going to do. He was doing like the normal trade routes. Efren was going south past Jamalia to like special things that he knew, right? I guess. I guess. I don't know. Well, Bastion is just sitting, waiting for Malta, and he's had a lot of time to think, seeing like, oh, maybe they have fallen on hard times, or maybe Kyle's just not very willing to give out money to fix up the house. And he thinks about the Spring Eve, which we find out here, came in today, it's tied up at the dock, and Finney sent him ashore to find a go-between or a buyer for the portrait, which is staying on board. And he says that that would, could be used as evidence. But he doesn't think he will have to show it as evidence, especially if Althea's here, because even though he's dressed like a pirate and has come about this information with scrupulous by scrupulous means, Althea knows he's not a liar and he is sure that that is enough to convince them. But he also knows that Althea will probably want the painting back. Right. Yes. He tried to push thoughts of Althea away, but once turned to that topic, his mind refused to give it up. What did she think of him? Why did it matter so much to him? 
because it did. Because he wanted her to think well of him. They had not parted well, and he had regretted that ever since. He didn't believe she would hold his rough jest against him when they met again. She wasn't like that. She wasn't some prissy female to take grave offense at an awkward joke. He closed his eyes a moment and almost prayed he was right. He thought more than well of her. He thrust his hands in his pocket and paced a turn around the hallway. Althea and Brashen are so alike in that they just try to convince themselves of things that they know aren't true. But then again, they like actually turn out to be true. They just are so low self-esteem and what people think of them. <laughs> it's so weird because the way it manifests for both of them is opposite. Like right, yeah. Brashen is like, Althea can never do any wrong. She is perfect by every standard. And she is... This, she like, sees me as she, an awful person. And surely she wouldn't she, she wouldn't see me as uh, someone who's really mean or anything. I'm hoping I'm right, but I know I'm not deep down. Yeah, yeah it's very like, oh, uh, Althea's perfect and amazing. And she knows the real me and the real me is awful, but maybe that's OK. Maybe she's OK with that. I don't know. It's really hard to tell. It's but she's so great. And then Althea's version is like, I don't have feelings for him. He's awful. He's the worst person in the entire world. He's a terrible scoundrel. And then and, her mind's like, but Brashen. But he's kind of cute, though. <laughs> <laughs> but she's just like, her version of this is like. It's all just bash on I Brashen. Don't like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody agrees. They both agree. Let's just bash on Brashen for being the worst. And Althea will pretend like she doesn't have feelings for him. And Brashen will pretend like she can't possibly have feelings for him so it's perfect it works out really well <laughs> but anyway he is sitting here thinking about her instead of the news that he's bringing which this is a thing that keeps flaring up in my mind of like he cares right now more about what's going to happen next with him and Althea than the fact that he's telling her that her precious live ship has been captured by pirates right like that's a big sad news thing to bring to her and he's like mm, she's not like other girls she won't care that I was super awful to her last time it was just a joke which I hate so much because he says it but then it follows it up with praying that he's right on that because yeah, he knows he's not right but I hate that he's like well it was clearly a joke I w she knows that himself. yeah but it's like okay it's a joke now because you realize you went too far okay Brashen <laughs> gross grody don't like it not a fan. But anyway, as he's sitting here, he realizes it's been a long time and Malta comes back. Well, it jumps over to Althea oh, right. first, actually. We have a, a break. It's been that long that Malta is gone. Yeah. <laughs> that we have a, a little scene with Althea first. In Amber's shop, she has left Greg and she has gone to her true destination and is talking to Amber, who's finishing up with a customer and kind of shoes that customer out. And they continue a conversation left off where Althea is filling in Amber about that talk with Greg. So, Naria Tanira will confront the Bingtown Council about slavery? Is that what you came to tell me? I thought you'd want to know how persuasive she'd found you. Amber smiled, pleased. I already knew, of course, Naria told me. I scandalized her by saying I wished I could be there. The meetings are for traitor folk only, Althea protested. She said the same. Is that what brought you here so swiftly? I haven't seen you in a while, and I couldn't face going home to the accounts or to Malta. Someday, Amber, I'm going to shake that girl until her teeth rattle. She is so infuriating. Actually, she sounds as if she's a lot like you. At Althea out Althea's outraged glare, Amber amended, as you would have been if your father had not taken you to sea. 
which Althea getting angry at this is literally what Althea just said to Greg. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's one of those like, it's OK if I say it, but right. if you say it, how dare you look at the two of us and say we're the same? Like, clearly you're not coming at it from a nuanced view. <laughs> you just think we're both annoying. <laughs> so I get it. I definitely have been there. But yeah, she is just saying that how she could have turned out. And Althea ponders, I wonder if it was a kindness what my father did. Yeah, because she is feeling fake in these clothes and like she's just putting on an act. Amber says, you're not playing the role of a boy anymore. You'd best smooth out that mess you just made as she runs her hand through her hair. And that's kind of like highlights, oh, I'm not comfortable as a Bing Town Trader's daughter. Yeah. And she says, I'm playing the role of a Bing Town woman. It's equally false to me. And she says, after Amber asks her false in what way, she says, false in every way. I feel trapped in these clothes. I must walk a certain way, sit a certain way. I can scarcely lift my hand over my head without the sleeves binding me. The pins in my hair give me a headache. I must speak to people according to proper protocol. Even to stand here speaking intimately with you in your shop is a potentially scandalous. But worst of all, I must pretend to want things I don't really want. She paused briefly. Sometimes I almost convince myself I do want them. She added confusedly, if I could want them, life would be easier. So obviously she's talking about Greg right there. Right. And <laughs> yeah, marriage in general, I think. Yes. it's But yeah, we get to see Althea truly isn't comfortable with her role that society has given her. She does not want to be a proper lady. She knows right. that she has to be, that there, it would be bad for her, her family, and her reputation to be seen as anything but a proper lady. But it's so tiring, and it's not comfortable, and she doesn't like it, and it's just as much of a role as pretending to be ship's boy was. Right. She says, I don't want all the things a real woman would want. You made me realize that. I don't dream of babies in a pretty house. I don't want a settled home and a growing family. I'm not even sure I want a husband. Today, Malta accused me of being odd. It stung worse than anything else she flung at me because it's true. I suppose I am. I don't want any of the things a woman is supposed to want. I should want Greg. I mean, I do want Greg. I like him. I enjoy his company. When he touches my hand, it warms me. But when I consider marrying him and all that would go with it, she shook her head. It's not what I want. It would cost too much, even though it would perhaps be wise. You don't love him, Amber suggested. I could. I don't allow myself to love him. It's like wanting something you can't possibly afford to buy. There is no reason not to love him, save that there is so much attached to him. His family is his inheritance, his ship, his position in the community. The man himself is wonderful, but I can't bring myself to give up everything I'd have to surrender to love him. Ah, Amber said. She continues on saying that Greg has expectations. They don't include me captaining my own live ship. He'd want me to settle down and manage things for him. I'd make a home for him to come back to, raise our children and keep our household in order i do everything that needed to be done so that he could sail off without any worries save the ship. Bitterness came into her voice. i do all the things that made it possible for him to live the life he wanted. She spoke the next word sadly. 
If I decide to love Greg, to marry him, it would cost me everything else I've ever wanted to do with my life. I'd have to lay it down all for the sake of loving him. And that's not what you want to do with your life? Amber asked. No, I don't want to be the wind in his sails. That's what I want someone else to do for me. She sat up straight suddenly. That is, that didn't come out right. I'm not explaining this very well. Amber looked up from her work to grin at her. On the contrary, I think you are uncomfortable only because you have stated it so plainly. You want a mate who will follow your dream. You don't want to give up your own ambitions to make someone else's life possible. I suppose that's true, Althea admitted reluctantly. And she asks, why is that so wrong? And Amber assures her it isn't, as long as you're a male. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a, a, a lot that I read right there about what Althea wants and things like that. And they have a great discussion about this afterwards, but stopping it right there, having this discussion with you, what do you think about this? I I like this discussion. I like putting it in these terms. I like that Althea is admitting that it's not necessarily anything Greg is doing or that he is that he is aware he's doing that puts her off of marrying him. It's just how she knows it will be when she says yes, because he is super nice and great and friendly and compassionate and would make a a great partner, but at the expense of herself. And that's not a very, that's a really big ask of anybody to give up your personhood and all of your life ambitions to make my dreams come true. And I think it's fair of her to recognize that that is what would have to happen for her to choose Greg. Mm -hmm. And I think... And she wants that the other way. Yeah. And I think that, obviously, I don't want to, like, badmouth Greg because I like Greg a lot. And I think Greg is a really sweet guy. And I think he would be open to making compromises. But I think, ultimately, the compromises would still be putting himself first and making sure that what he wants is the most important and that's the goal and then like just getting Althea to say yes is the compromises if that makes sense like I don't I agree with that but I also think if the positions were reversed Althea would do the same exact thing no for sure yeah I definitely think so but I think in this it's more that she doesn't feel that she has the power to do that yeah and that that's not that's not an option for her right and it's fair that she is struggling with that because mm-hmm. it does seem so simple, right? Like it's not like he's going to hit her or demand that she never does anything that she wants to do again, but it doesn't have to be that bad for it not to be the right fit. And mm-hmm. I think that's important too. And I really like that we have a couple where on paper they would be a good match and they're great friends and they have a lot of similar interests. It right. just, Like that isn't enough sometimes. And it's not necessarily because he's a good boy and she wants a rogue and a bad guy (laughs) or whatever. It's more so because she knows that saying yes to him means saying no to herself. Right. So I do respect that. And Mm -hmm. I do like that deeper meaning being brought in. And once again, Amber has to confront Althea with her own thoughts because Althea doesn't want to say something like, I want my partner to go along with my dreams. Yeah. And Amber is like, no, that is what you mean. Yeah. And it's fine to want that in this world. If you're a man, it's fine to want that. But yeah. for you, it's also fine to want that. But it's all, love is also about compromises. And she goes into a 
discussion about that. Yeah. So Althea says, don't try to tell me that this is what love is, giving it all up for someone else. But for some people, it is, Amber pointed out. Others are like two horses and harnesses pulling together towards a goal. I suppose that wouldn't be so bad, Althea conceded, which is what ends up happening with Brashen and her. Yeah. But then she also says, why can't people love one another and still remain free? One can love that way, Amber says, regretfully. But the price of that kind of love may be the highest of all. To love another person like that, you have to admit that his life is more important than yours. Is as important. Or is, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You have to admit that his life is as important as yours. Harder still, you have to admit to yourself that perhaps he has needs you cannot fill and that you have tasks that will take you far away from him. It costs loneliness and longing and doubt. And why must love cost anything? Why does need have to be mixed up with love? Why can't people be like butterflies coming together in bright sunshine and parting while the day is still bright? We have a little paragraph there about the fool and fits. Yeah. That if you want to love somebody and have them still remain free, it is hard because one person is going to, well, in this case, one person is mm-hmm. going to desperately be lonely and miss them. And Fitz does miss the fool as well. He's kind of forged right now. But <laughs> I think they both are desperate in their loneliness. Yeah, I'm just saying Fitz is kind of forged right now, so he can't really feel the depth of that pain. <laughs> I don't think that's fair. I <laughs> to say it's not that he can never feel the pain again i didn't say that no but i mean fitz is partially forged you're right but the basis of that forging is anger towards being abandoned by his mother and by molly and i don't think that has any effect on loneliness i don't know whatever maybe it does i don't know there's also yeah that that love there is extremely hard because it just creates more sorrow when they're apart. And you have to understand, like Beloved does, that the tasks that Beloved needs to accomplish are further away from Fitz. And there's that acknowledgement in there that sometimes you have to admit to yourself that he has needs you cannot fill. Mm -hmm. And that's the fool basically being like, Fitz, I love you unconditionally, but... You have to do you. (laughs) Yeah. I think it is a really selfless type of love. And I think that it is something that both Fitz and Fool feel. I think Fitz has a lot less. He's more boundaries around that. Yeah. Yeah. It's his, the way that he would think of it is a lot less eloquent. And I think also it scares him to be vulnerable like that with a human being that well i guess technically fool and beloved are not beloved is not a human being (laughs) but a humanoid (laughs) that isn't solely romantic i think that's the thing that fitz really struggles with is that there is love there and it's deeper than just like sibling love or family love it's something deeper but it's hard to explain because fitz doesn't want it to seem like he could 
love beloved in a way that could be seen as romantic, I think. Right. Yeah. It's his own hangups. Yeah. So Amber is describing that about herself in this instance, but Althea takes it another way being like, why can't we just, you know, love each other for a day and then split up and be nice and it'll be happy and sunshine. There's no need to do anything like that. Yeah. Uh, before we talk more about that portion, I do want to go back and talk about the other two types of love that are talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, one love where one person sacrifices everything for the other and one love where others are like two horses and harnesses pulling together towards a goal. And I thought that was interesting because I, I see Fitz and Molly's relationship as a love where one person is sacrificing for the other because I think... Molly did a lot of sacrificing in that love. Yeah. She was sacrificing her reputation and she had to sacrifice her life and a good income because she decided to have the child and to go away and to give up fits. Right. To make sure that her child could have a better life and whatever. Yeah. But then also I think that the equal love is very similar to Burek and Molly's relationship where they both come into it as equal partners that yeah do things together like i really think that that those i was thinking of those two (laughs) i guess molly is the center of both of those but i was like oh it fits here we go (laughs) yeah it does and i like the uh the horse analogy with beric in there Uh (laughs) uh-huh well you know kind (laughs) of so amber says we can't be like butterflies because we're people To pretend that people can come together, love, and then part with no pain or consequences is more false a role than pretending to be a proper traitor's daughter. She spoke bluntly. Don't, please, convince yourself that you can bed Greg Tanira and walk away from it without diminishing both of you. A moment ago, you spoke of love without need. To sate your need without love is theft. If you must have that, hire it done. But don't steal that from Greg under the pretense that it is free. I know Greg Tanira now. He cannot give you that, not that way. Althea crossed her arms on her chest. I wasn't thinking of doing that. Yes, you were, Amber asserted, her eyes back on her beads. We all think about doing that. That doesn't make it right. She turned her work and began a new pattern of knots. In silence, she added, When you bed someone, there is always a commitment. Sometimes that commitment is only that you and that you will both pretend it doesn't matter. Her strangely colored eyes held Althea's for a moment. Sometimes that commitment is made only to yourself. The other party never knows it or agrees to it. Brashen. Althea shifted uncomfortably in her chair. Why did he always have to come to mind at such inopportune moments? <laughs> yeah. I think I think this this is important. Because it has Amber rebuking Althea's train of thought of, well, it doesn't really matter and we can just get love and not need it to mean anything. And her being like, no, because that's a real person on the end of that. And if you're not being honest with them, then you're taking from them and that's not right. right. And it's not in a like, don't just sleep around if you want to sleep around sort of way. It's a understand that both people are consenting adults that need to consent to your idea of what is happening yes and i think that's a really important message too and i think it's important that 
Althea clearly starts to think of this as like a, well, I'm not thinking of sex because she's embarrassed and women aren't supposed to do that. And Amber isn't like, it's not even about that. Like uh, everybody thinks about sex. That's fine. You just cannot use sex like that. That is not what it is. And Greg is not thinking like that. Yeah. Because if you go with him and get together with him, he's going to think it's a promise, a commitment. Mm-hmm. And you're going to break his heart. And it's yeah. not fair to him that you're using him in that way. And then shifts the conversation to the other half of you go into it. Like, like it's like what you did with Brashen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically you had the commitment to yourself, but he to that it didn't mean anything. And maybe falsely promised yourself that it didn't mean anything. He was not on the receiving end of that. He yeah. didn't understand that. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Brashen comes to mind because that is what happened. And Amber doesn't have to say Bastion's name for her to know that that's what this is about. But it is kind of frustrating to Althea because it's just bringing up all that pain and that hurt again. And she doesn't want to think of Brashen. She wants to forget him. It made her angry all over again, but she was no longer sure it was Brashen she was angry with. She pushed such thoughts away. It was over and done with. A part of her life she was finished with. She could put it behind her. She could cover it up with other things. So she just wants to forget it because she doesn't want to dwell on Brashen, even though her mind always turns to him. Yeah. And then Fool finishes kind of this whole love talk by saying, love isn't just about feeling sure of the other person, knowing that he would give up for you. It's knowing with certainty what you are willing to surrender for his sake. Make no mistake, each partner gives something up. Individual dreams are surrendered for a shared one. In some marriages, one partner gives up almost everything she once thought she wanted, but it's not always the woman who does so. Such sacrifice is not shameful. It's love. If you think the man is worth it, it works. And that really has Althea thinking harder about this whole situation. It's little hob a misdirect of like maybe Althea is thinking about marrying Greg because then she asks do you think that if I married Greg I'd change my mind well someone would certainly have to Amber replied philosophically so do you think that she wrote in that final question just to make the reader go like "Mm, maybe she will go to Greg I think a little bit I think it does Keep it on the table yeah it's not necessarily put away yet because this is the final this is the final chapter where she's like I'm confronting my feelings. I only think of him as a friend. I waited for a spark. There's nothing. And then there's this talk of like, there has to be a sacrifice somewhere. And Althea's like, "Mm, maybe with Greg. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think as a first time reader, it leaves it on the table. I think as a second time reader, you can see it more as Althea's last shot at trying to convince herself. Yeah. And Amber's kind of dismissal of that of like, well, if you didn't, Somebody has to. So, yeah, I don't know. And we're back with Brashen. Yep. And he has waited a long time, as we said before. He's, uh, he says that waiting was always hard for him. He grinned to himself. The prospect of seeing Althea lightening his heart despite the gravity of the tidings he bore. He wished he had just the tiniest end of a sinden stick to sustain him, but he had resolutely left them behind on the spring eve. He knew Althea disproved of his small vice. He didn't want her to think he was the sort of man who had to carry it with him always. She already considered it enough of a fault. Well, 
He already knew all of Althea's faults. Proximity had forced him to tolerate them for years. They didn't matter. He had come to care for her, and it was more than a single night of bedding together. That night had only made him admit what he already felt. For years, he'd seen her nearly every day. They shared a drink or a meal in many ports, game together, mended sail together. She didn't treat him like the disgraced son of a Bingtown trader. She treated him like a valuable ship's officer, respected him for his knowledge and his ability to command men. She was a woman, but he could talk to her beyond complimenting her gown or comparing her eyes to stars. How rare was that? Not that rare, Brash, and you just don't have any experience with women. <laughs> true, true. Also, little like I'm glad that the epiphany he has that like, oh, I do actually like her comes mm. later when they're both consenting adults. But like he spent years with her. She was probably 16 or 17 when they started like hanging out. Yeah. yeah. Little weird. Little, little. But iffy. that's marriageable age in Bingtown, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But it's, she's 19. He's like 26 or 27. Yeah. Yeah, they're adults now, so <laughs> Ugh, yeah. whatever. We don't need to go down this <laughs> this path where we all know. We all yes. agree, I think, on this point. But it is a fantasy book. These aren't real people, so. Malta does come back, finally. Mm -hmm. She walks into the room, and her eyes met his, and she smiled gravely. Her demeanor had changed yet again. So before we get into this part, I do want to quickly point out that Brashen is talking about his small vice. Right. Yes. And uh how lying he, to himself about yes, it. Again. Like he doesn't he doesn't want Althea to think he's the kind of guy who has to have it. He's not addicted or anything. He would never bring it with him. And then later we know as he readers. Does. He finds one in his pocket. It's yeah, like, he, ooh. <laughs> he does have some in his Piece of candy. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it's it's really interesting to see him. He is trying to be what Althea views what he wants Althea to view him as right and I get that but also it's not who he is at this moment no and also it's kind of downplaying the severity of where he's at and what he's going through and just trying to pretend like oh it's fine this is normal and fine yeah <laughs> so anyway Malta does come back as you said and she has changed her demeanor again and I think that's really interesting that Brashen is always picking up on the changes in her demeanor. Yeah. yeah. He's constantly talking about it. It makes me wonder if everyone else is as aware of how much she changes her demeanor and how quickly she does things, I guess, like changes from one mood to the next or one tactic to the next. Or if this is just like Brashen gets a special pass because he's a main character in this moment. And we need to see... Well, also, she changes from who are you? Why are you here? How dare you to coming back and trying to attract him? Yeah. So pretty abrupt shift. That's fair. With a break in between. And she also has dressed in something different now. Yes. She's changed her outfit. She has changed her hairstyle. She has put on perfume. And says, I've sent off a runner, as you suggested. If you'd like to follow me, I offer you a cup of coffee and some morning cake. So she takes his arm, walks away. He can smell the perfume that she added. And she glances up at him once through her eyelashes as he accompanied her down the hall. The look made him reevaluate his first impression of her. Saw's breath how fast children grew up. Hadn't she been a playmate of little Dello? 
The last time he had seen his little sister, she had been in disgrace for muddying her pinafore. He hadn't even set eyes on her in years. A peculiar sense of loss assailed him. He had lost more than just his home and fortune when his father had disowned him. Which is a very sad thing to think about. Yeah, I do. I do think this is something that isn't touched on very much in this book, but Brashen also lost his family members. Yeah. And I'm sure that he had a somewhat good relationship with them. I know he was getting into situations he shouldn't have been and was, you know, pursuing vices that he should have stayed away from. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that he was a bad brother or that he was horrible to his siblings. As far as we know, they had a pretty good relationship and then he just had to leave. And so I, I do feel a little bit bad for Dello and Serwin for losing their sibling, but also for Brashen because he doesn't even get to really know them as people anymore. Yeah. I mean, he is over 10 years or maybe, yeah, over 10 years older than Dello and he left at like 14. So yeah, just a baby and he missed all the growing up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she leads him to the morning room, coffee service and a plate of morning bread had already been set out. And she says, I hope you'll be comfortable waiting here. I made the coffee myself. I hope it isn't too strong. So he realizes in that moment, oh, this is why it took so long. She was making coffee and cutting uh, bread herself. And right. obviously the Vestrits have fallen on hard times then if she's doing this herself. Him thinking of Dello, though, brings him to ask about Dello, saying, you know my sister, right? Like, of course I do. Dear sweet Dello, she is my closest friend. Again, she gave him that smile. I haven't seen Dello in years, he found himself admitting. You haven't? What a shame. She is quite grown up, you know. Her smile was slightly different as she added, I know your brother also. Brashen knit his brows at her knowing tone. Serwin. He is well, I trust. I suppose he was the last time I saw him. She gave a small sigh and looked away from him. I do not see him often. Was she infatuated with young Serwin? Brashen quickly reckoned his siblings' ages from his own. Well, he supposed Serwin was of an age to be courting young ladies. Yet, if Dello and Malta were the same age, Malta seemed rather young to be courted. He began to feel a bit uncomfortable. Was this pretty little charmer girl or woman? She stirred her coffee and somehow contrived to make him notice the elegance of her hands as she did so. Then she leaned across the little table and offered to spice his coffee for him. Surely she had not intended to, dis to display quite that much bosom as she did so. He looked away, but her scent still reached him. So she is trying very hard to make him jealous, and he's just kind of like... Is she attracted to my brother? Like, what's yeah. going on? <laughs> it's, he's so oblivious because she is a child. I think it's... I think he, she, yes, she's also, I think, misjudging him and instantly thinks, oh, he has to be attracted to me. Mm -hmm. But he's coming at the fact of like, she's a little girl. Oh, I guess she could be courted, but it's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, well, I was trying to say that I think that part of this doesn't work as well as she is hoping because he, his sister is her age. Yeah. And he knows how young that is True. like he knows her exact age and he's like mm, even by trader standards that's a little young so i think his reactions i don't know if they would be this like put off 
if he didn't have Dello as a sister as a reference to age. Yeah. Um, because I don't know if he would have known her age as well. Right. Especially if she presents herself True. as older than she is. Yeah. By dressing like a woman when she shouldn't. And then Malta brings up Althea and then turns the conversation to Greg. <laughs> She came back aboard the Ophelia. That's the Tanira family live ship, you know. Greg Tanira is very enamored of her. It has made Bingtown buzz with gossip. Not a few are startled at the idea of my headstrong aunt suddenly losing her heart to such a steady young man. My grandmother, of course, is quite thrilled. We all are. He had almost, we had almost given up hope of her ever making a good match and settling down. I am sure you know what I mean. She gave a small, confidential laugh, as if these words she would not share with just anyone. She watched him so closely, as if she could see how the barbs of her words set in his heart and clawed there. A good match, he repeated lemmingly. Tanira. Greg Tanira. Oh, he would. Be a good match, I mean. He's a good sailor, too. This last he added more to himself. It was the only thing he could think of that might have attracted Althea to Greg. <laughs> fair <laughs> well he was handsome too was his next sentence <laughs> yeah he's definitely heard people call him handsome but yeah that's funny no i think this part's really interesting because at first i was like why would malta bring up althea anyway um because i don't think she goes into this thinking that he might have feelings or althea might have feelings for brash and like i don't know that she think is thinking about that dynamic necessarily but I think the reason she brings it up is because she just wanted to crap talk her aunt to somebody who knew her. Maybe, but he also brings her up first, like immediately, right? He asks if Althea has made it back from sea. Fair. And then she asks like, oh, you know, my aunt Althea. And I think trying to feel him out, trying to feel him out kind of gets that sense that there might be a connection there. And then pricks at it and then stares at him intently to see how he reacts. Mm-hmm. So this is just the test. Yeah, yeah and I okay. think she, from that, she understands, oh, he likes Althea. Okay. And then kind of leans into it to try to, like, sway him away from Althea. Interesting. I, I think that's what's going on, at least, in my interpretation. That's fair. I don't know. It's really hard to tell with Malta. <laughs> right, yeah, especially from a, an outside perspective. Mm -hmm. So he is in his head... Going over and over the things that, yes, this is why Greg could be attractive to Althea. He's a good sailor. Well, he was handsome, too. I've heard him call handsome. Also, he doesn't partake in Sindon, obviously. Right. Like, that's uh, why Althea. Like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> everything that of, I am not. Yeah. Speaking of, I think I actually do have Sindon on me, even though I just got done talking about how I didn't bring any with me to impress Althea. But I for sure have some. But I can't really get away with taking it now because... Then Malta would see it, and she's a genteel child, so right. I can't let her see that. So he's kind of distracted, comes back to the conversation, realizes he's eating like a deckhand, and Malta reaches across to lightly touch the back of his hand with her slender little fingers. You seem quite travel-worn. I was so upset when I first let you in. I never thanked you for coming so far to bring us tidings of my father's ship. You have come from afar, haven't you? Quite a ways, he admitted. He drew away from her and rubbed his hands together in his lap, as if that would still the tingling of her touch. She smiled knowingly at that and then turned her face aside. A blush rose on her cheeks. She was aware of her flirting then. It wasn't the casual touch of a child. He felt besieged and confused. 
There were too many things to consider here. His mouth ran at the thought of even a small piece of sin and to clear his mind. He forced himself to take another bite of bread instead. You know, I look at you and I wonder how your brother might look if he grew a mustache. Yours is quite flattering to your jaw and lips. Rashin lifts his hand self-consciously and says her words were not appropriate, nor the way her eyes followed his fingers almost avidly. He stood and says, perhaps I should come back later this afternoon. Please let them know to expect me. I probably should have sent a word before I came calling today. So, so he's starting to get uncomfortable with everything. Yeah, like, because this is maybe a little inappropriate. Yeah, he's because he saw her first as a child. And so yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, sometimes kids say things and it's a little weird, but you don't you aren't thinking that they're trying to hit on you. And, and then like you, she touches his hand and he's like, oh, well, you don't need it's like still a little weird if you're touching me like that. And then she blushes and he's like, oh, he's she like, knows uh-oh. what she's doing. Oh, yeah. This is like a kid with a crush. Oh, no, this is weird. But like she's really subtly going from just an innocent child to a woman who knows what she's doing and is going to get what she wants. And I think that subtle change is having is what's not working for her as much as she thinks it should, because he knows that she's a child, number one. And yes. before this, he could brush it off as kids have crushes on adults. That's super normal. Like that happens a lot. It's whatever. Adults shouldn't be acting on that. You just ignore it. And now it's becoming clear that she is very aware that what she is doing is flirting and she is wanting him to know that she is making a move. And now it's weird because it's like, well, how do you get out of that situation? How do you like let her down easy without offending her? And how do you like a walk around this person he doesn't know very well and get out of the situation, which he is slowly realizing is super inappropriate because he is alone with a woman or girl or child, but like still either way, they're alone in this house. There's nobody around to chaperone. Mm -hmm. And this is getting a little too weird. Yeah. He stands and says like, I should come back. And she's like, I already sent a runner. She doesn't even stand or acknowledge that he wants to leave. It's like, I've already sent a runner. I'm sure they will return soon. I am sure they will. Brashen agreed stiffly. He could not understand this young woman. She looked at him guilelessly. Perhaps her words had been a child's artless error. Perhaps he had been too long at sea. He sat down, his back rigidly straight, and held his hat in his lap. I will wait for them, then. I am sure I have interrupted your day. Please do not feel you must remain with me. I shall be fine waiting here by myself. She gave a bubble of laughter at his awkward words. Oh, dear. I have made you uncomfortable. I am terribly sorry. I suppose I have been too familiar with you. It is only because you were dear grandfather's first mate so long that I feel you are almost a relative. Also, knowing Sirwin and Dello as well as I do, I naturally wish to extend a warm welcome to their brother. Her voice dropped dramatically. I think it is so tragic that you are no longer welcome in your family home. I have never understood exactly what happened between your fa- you and your father. She let her words trail off, inviting his confidence. Obviously, Brashen's like, yeah, I'm not Yeah, I think talking to her about this. Seeing this from Brashen's point of view, it's like, how is she getting any of these guys at all? But then I remember Brashen is a grown adult man who has a lot of experience in the world and has been doing things on his own. Of course, he's not and falling he's for it. He's probably like seven or eight years older than Sirwin. 
Yeah, that too. I was going to say the other people that she's doing this to are quite young in comparison Mm -hmm. and don't have as much real world experience. So they can't see through it, number one. And And he's besotted with Althea too. I mean, that helps. But I think just knowing like she is so young and he keeps making that remark of like, it's weird because she is a child like like she seems almost like a woman but that doesn't really matter because she is a child Mm -hmm. and it makes me wonder why rain can't have a similar response because i think rain and brashen are around the same age uh rain is younger yes but like like eight years rain like six seven actually yeah because rain Rain is like the same age or maybe one year older than Althea. Okay. I think maybe like one year older than Althea. He's talked about around 20-ish. 21, 20, something like that. Okay. And Brashen is upper mids 20s. Okay. Either way. Yeah. <laughs> Still a bit older, I guess, maybe because... I mean, Rain has been pretty sheltered and admit- self-admittedly had no interest in women before either. Right. That's fair. I mean, the first... The first real encounter, besides just her play acting as an adult and imperious and whatever at mm-hmm. the traitor's thing, was the dream that they shared, which was all like feelings and emotions more so. I guess, yeah. So I don't know. It's still we. We've, I don't know. We've talked about this ad nauseum. It's still weird. Definitely. I, I guess he I just sees her as a woman, but like, yeah, yeah. His point of view, I think, happens next chapter, and I would love to delve into the fact that he admits that she is still very childish and immature, but he doesn't care. And, like, <laughs> we'll talk about it then. But anyway, it just makes me—it's remarkable because it shows that while Malta is cunning and very good at what she's doing, I think to adults, it is clear the act that she is doing. She hasn't quite mastered the art of making it not an act or not obviously an act. And And obviously that comes down to her age as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I don't necessarily think that she should be better at it or whatever, (laughs) you know. Right, right. I just think that it's we have to remember that up until this point, we're mostly getting things from Malta's point of view. And so I think she's not as amazing of a actress as she thinks herself to be. I think to the people around her that are mostly children or don't spend a ton of time with her, she is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And she is still good. Like she still puts some things over Brashen that he doesn't acknowledge. He doesn't even think of as being an act like when her face blushed. But we know from reading what her point of view with Rain that she can make herself blush at will. Yeah. That she can make herself cry at will. She has no problem putting on whatever act mm-hmm. to get the reaction she wants. So there are definitely aspects of it that she's really good at playing mm-hmm. of being like her real emotion showing through. Right. At one moment, Malta seemed an innocent child doing her best to welcome a guest in the absence of her elders. The next, she seemed like a temptress to toying with him. His news in was pressing and he wished to see Althea but the longer he remained here the uneasier he felt it was belatedly occurring to him that perhaps this whole situation would be seen as improper he was to all appearances completely alone with a young woman of good family he knew some fathers and brothers who had fought duels over lesser offenses I fear I must go I have other errands I will return late this evening please give your family my regards Malta made no effort at rising he didn't wait for her to do so very pleasant to have seen you again, he bowed to her and turned to leave. 
Your brother Sirwin doesn't think I'm a child. There was a challenge in those words. Unwillingly, he turned back to face her. She smiled lazily. He is sweet. Like a little house cat. You, I suspect, are more like a tiger. She put a fingertip in her mouth and nibbled at it thoughtfully. Pets can be such boring creatures, she observed. Brashen suddenly discovered that the heart of a correctly mannered Bingtown trader's son beat in his chest under his pirate's blouse. He was shocked to his core. There could be no mistake in her inflection. Captain Vestrit's granddaughter in his family home was honing her seductive wiles on him. It was outrageous. You should be ashamed of yourself, he said with honest indignation. He did not turn back at her shocked grasp, but proceeded down the hall to the main door. Pulls it open and sees Ronica and Kefria right as they were about to open it and says, Oh, thanks, Sa, you've come. Right as Kefria's like, who are you and what are you doing in my house? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I do want to back up a little bit before this interaction with the rest of the family and talk about how... I think Malta really thinks she's doing something here. Like she oh, really yeah. thinks she got him because he turned around at the Sirwin Sir remark. She's given this her all. And then just goes overboard. Well, not even that. That's like just how she talks to the other men. Like that's how or boys, whatever the other people around her. That's how she's been acting to them too. Right. And they don't tell her that's too much. They like that because that's different and new or whatever. But Sirwin's an adult and recognizes that Brashen she, sorry, adult, yeah. Brashen is an adult and recognizes that Malta is not one. And he's and, like finally gaining his Bingtown trader son. Uh-huh, <laughs> like the propriety. He's like, oh my gosh, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Which is so funny because also, thank you, Brashen, for being the one adult in Malta's life to just flat out say, you should be ashamed of yourself for acting like that because... Even when and she's just a f- shocked and affronted. Yeah, How she cannot you? believe he would dare. But even whenever she was picked up after sneaking to the ball by Rest- uh, Trader Restart, he doesn't say you should be ashamed. He laughs at the whole thing. He doesn't take it. You know what I mean? Like he kind of makes mm-hmm. a joke of it, which makes her mad because he's not taking her seriously. Right. And partially, I think it's because he doesn't think it's his place to tell her what to do. But. The fact that no adult to this point, I mean, maybe his her grandmother and mother have said that it's not appropriate, but to like tell her that she should be feeling shame for trying to seduce people like that and acting like that is something that she hasn't heard. I don't think I don't think it sinks in either. No. And now it's a man (laughs) that she was going after that she thought was someone in her grasp telling her you should be ashamed of yourself for acting this way. Unfortunately, it doesn't. She doesn't even reflect on it, I don't oh, think. Oh, no, because, I mean, at the end of the day, he's a scoundrel and not a real gentleman, so who cares what he thinks? And to be fair, like, should a woman feel shame for trying to take control of her own sexuality? No, probably not. But, like, also, a child should not be doing that. And good for Brashen for putting it to her in a way that might affect how she acts in the future. It won't. We all know that. But, you know, it's... Ugh. At least he said something. So he's opened the door and face to face with Ronica and Kefria. He quickly introduces himself and says that I bring news of Ivasia. And Kefria, of course, is asking, like, what's going on? And Ronica has to take command of the situation, says, not here. Let's go all sit down in the study. Come on. 
and Brashen is speaking as they they come in just to explain himself in the situation, saying, Your granddaughter Malta let me in. I presumed the runner she had sent to fetch you would have prepared you for my tidings. No runner found us, Ronica Vestrit informed him tersely, but I had feared that sooner or later someone would knock at our door and tidings would not be good ones. We learn here that, and it's confirmed in the next chapter, that Malta lied. She did not send a runner. She was just yeah. here to talk to Brashen. Yeah, she just wanted him to feel like it was fine. Don't worry about it. Somebody's going to get your message so she could have more time to toy with him. Yeah. So they set him down, say, what do you have for us, basically? And Brashen thinks, how much of the truth did he owe her? If she had been Althea and they'd been sitting quietly over a couple of beers, he would have told her all and allowed her to judge him as she saw fit. Trafficking with pirates was a hanging offense. There was no denying that was what he had been doing. He wouldn't lie. He simply wouldn't tell about that part. So he says the truth, bluntly. Vivacia has been taken by pirates. I know very little more than that. She was seen in a pirate outpost harbor anchored up. I do not know what has become of her captain or crew. I'm sorry to tell you that, and sorrier to tell you that the pirate who seized her is one Captain Kennet. I don't know why he went after Vivacia. His reputation is that of an ambitious crusader. He dreams of uniting the pirate isles into a kingdom for himself. To that end, he has been pursuing slave ships. The rumors say that he kills all the crew and sets the slaves free to gain their goodwill and that of other pirates who hate slavery as he does. Kefra becomes boneless and just kind of slumps as if they were taking all the life from her. She lifted both her hands to cover her mouth, holding in a wail of horror. In contrast, Ronica Vestrit stood as if turned to wood. Her froze, face was frozen in a rictus of despair. Her old hands clutched at the back of her chair like birds' talons gripping a perch. So this is something that is going over Brashen's head. Or, well, I guess not their reaction. He can see that he's describing it to us. But the reason for the the reaction is what's going over his head. Yeah. I don't think Brashen knows that vivacia was being used as a slaver he does not so he's giving them this news and i think he is trying to be reassuring saying he only kills the people that are in of slavers of sla yeah. like only slave ships does he kill the crew so it's probably okay we i don't know for sure but yeah, as far as catch. i know they're fine and they're thinking oh my god oh my everyone. saw yeah <laughs> he has killed everyone they're dead everybody's dead kyle's dead wintrow's dead the whole crew is dead and it's because kyle had to make this run as a slave ship veronica has her wits about her and with somebody bringing these news this news and saying like don't know why he went after her don't think he killed everybody mm. she asks him do you bring us a ransom offer also, he's dressed as a pirate, yes. and he has news about pirate stuff. And it shames him, he says. Of course it shames him. But Ronica's quick-witted. She had seen the cut of his clothes, guessed where he had been making his living. She thought he was Kenneth's go-between. He simply says, no, I know little more than I've told you, and half of that is rumor and gossip. I do not think there will be a ransom offer. This Captain Kenneth appears very pleased with his prize. The ship, at least, I suspect he will keep. I know nothing of the men who were aboard her. I'm sorry. And it kind of sinks in in the silence that follows of what he's actually done. 
The news he had brought ruined the Vestret family. They would hate the bearer of such tidings. He waited for the storm to break because he just kills all of their hopes. There's no more coin coming in. They're already on hard times. So this is the end of it. Right. And not only that, but he realizes that he had imagined this telling with Althea there and he had imagined that Althea would have the fire in her eyes and get ready to start an adventure and ask his help to get the ship back. And it would be this big, amazing thing. But then he's realizing that that's kind of a fantasy and this is real life. These people's lives are actually affected by this. And he hadn't really put thought into that part of it. He hadn't thought about what would happen if the Vestrits weren't doing well financially. Yeah. And even if they were, the ship isn't delayed. It's gone. He had dealt the final crushing blow to a family who had once befriended him. And at that moment, Althea opens up the door, has Malta, <laughs> struggling with Malta in front of her, saying like she's been listening at the door, and sees Brashen. What are you doing here? What's happened? What is going on? Althea let go of Malta so suddenly that the girl sat down flat with a thud on the floor. She stared at him wild-eyed, her mouth open as if he had knocked the wind out of her lungs. He stood and took a step toward her. His story spilled out, and he repeats it, saying, I don't know the crew's fate. It is said he kills the full crew of every slaver he captures. I don't know the crew's fate. Because this is not said as someone who knows that it's a slaver, but again, it's supposed to be reassurance. Mm Mm-hmm. And just a warning of, like, potentially because he's killing slavers' crews, he'll kill this crew too, but I don't know. Not knowing that this, uh, once again, not knowing that that deals with Vivacia. Malta screams out and rushes Brash and saying, no, it's a lie. It's not true. Father said he was going to come home. He was going to make everything right. He is going to come home and make us rich again and throw out Althea and make everyone treat me well. You're only saying that, you pig. It isn't true. It isn't true. My father can't be dead. He can't. She's swinging at him. He grabs her wrists. She tries to kick at him, and they separate themselves. While Althea, besides Kefri and Ronica yelling, stop it, Althea yanks Malta back by by her her hair. hair. And wraps her in a hug. Saying, stop it. Stop it now. It won't do any good. Save your strength and your wits. We can't waste them fighting each other. We have a common enemy now. We have to put everything we have toward rescuing them. Malta, Malta, I know this is terrible, but we have to cope. Not thrash about in hysteria. So Althea at least can see the gravity of the situation. Right. And trying to calm Malta down, but Malta is still obviously angry, in denial about everything, and just saying, you're happy. You, you're happy that he's probably dead. Yeah, she's now, because she can't fight with Brashen, she's bringing the fight to Althea and... Saying, don't pretend to be my friend. Yeah, and to Althea's credit, she doesn't try to sugarcoat things or pretend no. like things are fine. Why yeah. would you say that we're friends? She says, no, you're right, I don't like you. And I can't stand you most of the time. And I do want the ship back under my control, but I don't want anybody to be dead. And And, we're family. And we're family. And that is more important than what I want with the ship right now. There is no ship if we don't come together. So we need to work together to figure out how we're going to get the ship back. And Malta looks her up and down suspiciously. You're trying to trick me. You still want the ship for yourself. I still want to command the family ship, Althea agreed easily. That's true. 
But that quarrel will have to wait until Vivacia is safely back in Bingtown. Right now, that is what all of us want. It is rare when the women of this family agree on anything. So while we do, you need to stop behaving like a hysterical girl with the brains of a chicken. And she sweeps around the room, looking around the room, saying, None of us can afford to give way to our emotions right now. We have only one course that I can see and raise ransom. Yeah. Substantial one. And she really takes control of the situation. She sees the problem and knows that there are steps to take. And she is pausing any emotion she could feel about it to decide next steps. And I think part of this is probably because... In a way, Malta is right. She doesn't care about Kyle or right. what happened to Kyle. Kyle's death means nothing to to Althea. I mean, I don't know. She'd probably be like, oh, that sucks for Kefria. But I don't think it really matters to her, which is fine. They don't get along. Right. But so it's like probably a little bit easier from her to step away from the grief of losing people at this moment because it isn't as close to her. And she's able to take control and say, hey, these are the next steps. That's what we focus mm-hmm. on next. We cannot sit here and wallow. It is not time to throw fits. We are going to go to the Bingtown Trader Council, which is meeting tomorrow, and we are going to ask for the ransom, like you said. If we are fortunate, he will take our money and return what is ours. Brashen is right, however. I have heard of this Captain Kennett. If he pursued the Vivacia, it is because he means to keep her. If that is so, we can only pray to Saw that he has been wise enough to keep her family members and fa- familiar crew alive to keep her sane. So you see, Malta, I have reasons of my own for hoping your father and brother are alive and well. And yes, then she says, tomorrow, the Taniras plan to speak to the council about the satrap and the Chalcedians and the slavery thing. And that would be a perfect time to bring this up as well. I do want to point out that Althea specifically mentions Wintrow with Kyle, because I don't think until this point, Wintrow has really been thought about, I think. Well, Kefria says, Wintrow, my dear boy, my, my mm. sweet boy, or something like that. I thought that, that was after this. But, no, and, that was before. Okay. So That was when Brashen says it. Right. But Malta doesn't care about Wintrow. She cares about her dad, because who cares if Wintrow survives? He's not the one that's going to fix everything. She doesn't even like Wintrow. So I just found it really interesting that when... Althea talks about it. She includes both of them, assuming that Wintrow is also something Malta would care about. But Malta specifically has multiple times only been talking about Kyle. Right. So Althea lays out a plan. Taniras are going to bring up all of this stuff to the Bingtown Trader Council. So Mother, Kefria, you should come as well because I'm going to be there. Rally any others that you can. It is time the Bingtown Traders were awakened to all that is going on. The worsening piracy and their increasing boldness is yet another part of the satrap's mess. When the time is right, we need to bring up the vivacious situation and ask for support from at least the other live ship families, if we cannot sway all the traders to help us. This is something that affects us all. At the risk of setting off Malta again, I will add that it directly relates to the slavery issue. If Kyle hadn't been using Vivacia as a slaver, this would not have befallen her. It is well known that Kenneth targets slave ships. It is also known, she added in a slightly louder voice as Malta took a breath to interrupt, that the pirate activities are why we are having these Chalcedian pirateers tied up in our harbor. If Bingtown takes, itself takes a stand against the pirates, perhaps we can show the satrap we don't need his patrol boats, and we don't intend to pay for them. And if we succeed in all that, 
Perhaps we can waken all Bingtown to the fact that we don't need Jamalia or Satrap at all, that we can take care of ourselves now. Althea is wrapping just the lo- her personal loss into the large problem as well. Right. Which is very important and a great step for her to see the larger picture here. Yes, yes. super important that Vivacia is taken and very important to her and her family. But it is a symptom of a larger problem. Yeah. And being able to articulate that and have a good way to say that to other people is great because it means that it can be used to get other people on their side. Right. She has a convincing argument. So Althea stops and says, isn't this stupid? I'm hungry. Rashan brings me the worst possible news that I can imagine. And somehow I still get hungry at dinner time. No matter what befalls you, your body tries to go on living. Ronica spoke the heavy words with the experience of a survivor. She reaches out towards Malta and gives that olive branch, saying, Malta, Althea is right. We must stand as a family now, putting aside all quarrels with each other. Sa's breath. Look what it takes to make us remember we are family. I feel ashamed. Slowly, Malta extended her own, her own hand. Into Ronica's waiting yeah. hand. And Ronica takes it. She looks deep into the girl's angry gaze. Suddenly, she gave her a brittle hug. Malta cautiously returned it. Malta and Papa aren't bad anymore? A young voice wondered aloud. All heads turned to the boy in the doorway. Oh, Selden, Kefria cried in weary dismay. Mama, I'm not a baby, he cried in annoyance. Then looks at Brashen and says, You look like a pirate. I do, don't I? He smiled and held out his hand. But I'm not. I'm just an honest Bingtown sailor, a bit down on my luck. For a moment, he believed it was true. He could almost forget the stub end of Sindon's stick his wayward fingers had found in the corner of his jacket pocket. Yeah, so... Kind of as we said before, chapters were leading up to the whole trilogy's climax here. This is kind of like the head, the start of that. This is where everything's kind of coming together. All of the problems that we've been talking about, problems with the satrap, with slavery, with people being down on their luck, with vivacia, all of that is kind of rolling into this one problem. Yeah. And it's now affecting the main characters in a more real way. I definitely feel bad for the Vestrit family in hearing this news. It's really, really hard. (laughs) news to have they don't really have a ton of answers and i don't know if there's a way for brashen to get more answers i wish he would say that he saw someone that looked like althea on the deck because i know yeah clearly that's wintro or at least he doesn't know wintro though but it looked just like althea they're clearly related you know what i mean (laughs) like it was shadows though he didn't see features he just saw mannerisms I don't know. Still feels like that's good enough. He could have said, oh, yeah, I thought Althea was on board because there was a young boy that was walking just like her or something. I don't know. I just I just wish he would have given them that peace of mind. He's also trying to conceal where he saw her and everything. Right. He's he's giving everything is like I heard she was anchored up in the pirate strongholds. Fair. So he's trying to hide that he was being a pirate. From the rest of the family. Yeah. And I guess he's not saying he saw her. Because it's hanging in a fence. Right. 
And he's not saying he saw her. He's just saying he heard. Right. That's exactly. Yeah. So tough chapter for news. Mm -hmm. Interesting perspective into uh, Malta from a outside perspective. Mm -hmm. And more uh, Amber Truths. Yeah. Confronting Althea. And Amber, once again, or I guess Beloved, once again, trying to influence the flow of the path and making sure that, or trying to take action of something that doesn't necessarily affect their job and the whole dragon thing, but does affect the lives and the greater good of people. Right, yeah. And I think that's a really important aspect that Beloved really does have a lot of sympathy for those who struggle and for the people on the bottom of society and really wants to find a way to include them in the writing of the world, which Mm -hmm. is out of their way to do. And so I think that's a really important feature that is very subtle in this trilogy that we don't, you know, that we're not really seeing. And also just that is a very big character trait of Beloved in general. Right, yeah. Well, thanks so much for listening. This is a long episode. If you have thoughts on it, please let us know at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us directly or comment on any of our social media posts at isfitshappy. We're Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, threads, and on YouTube as well. Don't forget to... Like our podcast, follow along with any of our socials. Please rate and review us. See what, um, let us know some feedback of how we're doing. And um, look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, see you next week.